You may have thought to yourself, it would be really cool to have a smart TV. Do you have a computer laying around? Well, you can turn your TV into a smart TV, essentially. I just recently did it, and today I will discuss the process on Joey's Totally Tech. have to thank my girlfriend Lisa Irving for this week's topic. She suggested it as we recently did this project ourselves. For me it's an ever-evolving project as I do plan on making a couple of upgrades still and I will likely add new features more and more. So this process will involve a PC with at least a dual core processor and you can also use a Raspberry Pi I'd say preferably a Raspberry Pi 3 or 4. And this will involve a piece of software called Kodi, that's spelled K-O-D-I. And then you will either want a TV tuner card or an IPTV service. Now I do feel that it's best to see a video on this, and if you need one immediately, the YouTube channel Chris Titus Tech just recently did one, and I'll include a link in this week's episode but I will soon launch a YouTube channel for this podcast as well. I already have a library channel, and when I have some time, I will be doing a video on this for you too. This podcast episode is not meant to be a complete tutorial, but somewhat of an overview on how to do this. As I mentioned, you will want to have a PC with a dual-core processor, or you could also use a Raspberry Pi 3 or 4. If you're using a PC, I'd go with a minimum of two gigabytes of RAM. You might be able to get by with less, but I haven't really tried it. I'm also going to recommend a wireless keyboard touchpad combo. It can be a small miniature type of keyboard and touchpad. I've got one linked in the description from a new Kodi, if you'd like. And it's one that I'm using. It's the new Kodi T2. But they also have other models which would work well as well. Also, look up the T16 if you want to do some casual gaming too. The PC I used is actually fairly old. We're talking a Core 2 Duo CPU. I'm using four gigabytes of RAM and I chose to use an AMD R7250 graphics card that I had available. I'm using an old Lenovo small form factor PC and there's room for one other card in it as well if I choose to add one down the line. You could put a TV tuner card and attach your antenna or cable to the PC. You'll also need a PVR add-on for Kodi. Uh, PVR stands for Personal Video Recorder that can use the card such as TV Head-In, VDR, Myth TV, DVB Link, or Next PVR. If you're doing IPTV, you won't need a tuner card but you will want either the IPTV simple client for Kodi, or there's other clients too. 
And then some IPTV services have their own add-ons for Kodi. And you'll hear me talk about add-ons quite a bit. These add-ons will add features to your Kodi installation. These are kind of like apps from an app store, though there's no real single app store. Most of the plugins I mentioned should be available in the Kodi repository, but for me, I've had some trouble with them. I was using Ubuntu Linux, and I had to add an additional repository to Ubuntu's repositories. Add one add-on via that, and then disable that repository and install the rest of Kodi. It was a little complicated. By the way, Kodi is available for Windows, Linux, Mac OS, and Android. You can also download the Libre Elect operating system, which is a Linux-based system that has Kodi on it. I was actually going to try this out. However, the image I downloaded did not seem to be bootable when I used Etcher to put it on my USB flash drive. So I went with Ubuntu 20.04 and installed Kodi. Now, Kodi has official instructions for earlier versions of Ubuntu, so if you're going to use Ubuntu Linux and want everything to work flawlessly, I would use Ubuntu 17 or 18, as Ubuntu 20 has some changes that make following the instructions difficult. So install Kodi, install your chosen PVR add-on, or if your IPTV service has their own add-on, install that, and you're ready to go watching regular TV. Yet, we haven't added other features yet. You want to watch some Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, and more. Well, we could do that too. Let's get Cody to play Netflix. Netflix is probably the most well-known paid video streaming service and has had many popular shows and movies. I'd say this is a must for many of you. You'll find the link in the description of this episode to the Netflix video add-on. If you go to system, you'll see where you can add repositories and install straight from zips. Those zip files that you download are oftentimes for repositories. Other zips are just the add-ons themselves. This one you're going to add a repository for. Download the zip and then add the repository. You'll browse to where you've downloaded the zip. You'll go back and then install from that repository. Once you've done that, you can then go to add-ons and see Netflix. You can open it up and put in your username and password and start watching some Breaking Bad and Orange is the New Black, or one of the latest crazes among many of you, you. Okay, so let's browse the web. One of the key features of smart TVs is being able to browse the web. For this, I'm going to recommend that you have Google Chrome installed on the operating system. Also, use the Chrome Launcher add-on. Again, the link is in the description. When the add-on is installed, and you will install this one straight from the zip file in Kodi, you can use this plugin to create launchers to your favorite websites. 
it's meant for video websites like Hulu and CBS All Access and other services that you may not have add-ons for. Let's create our first launcher with the add-on. We're going to tell it to stop XBMC playback when we create it. XBMC is the former name for Cody. We're also going to say no to kiosk mode for this launcher. And when it asks for the URL, we'll just leave it as HTTP colon slash slash. This launcher will launch the Chrome web browser. Now, exit out of that. You'll see there's already a launcher created for YouTube called YouTube Leanback. Open that up and you'll find Chrome loads YouTube in kiosk mode, a full screen mode that makes it somewhat more seamless. You can create launchers that load in kiosk mode. For Hulu and CBS All Access, you will want to do this. To exit Chrome's kiosk mode, press Ctrl W. I will say for YouTube, there is a YouTube add-on, but I don't like it very much. For one thing, you have to set up an API key and then key that in along with a secret key and it's really difficult. And you also have to set it up to accept it from the IP address and your IP address could change every time you connect depending on your internet service provider and your setup. Also, I was unhappy with the regular YouTube add-on search functionality I was trying to find Divide by Zero and Simple Pickets Does the Right Thing and Writes a Bomb to Hell by one of my favorite bands, The Offspring, and I couldn't find it. I found some other versions of the video, but it wasn't the official video. They were like putting it over like Dragon Ball Z and other cartoons instead. So search is kind of weird, and navigating through who I have subscribed to is also difficult. So I much prefer the Chrome launcher and using YouTube Leanback in kiosk mode. All right, let's talk about casual gaming. Gaming may not be something you intended on doing this, but you can certainly do it. If you're on a Windows, Linux, or Mac OS system, you can install the Steam Big Picture Mode add-on. This requires Steam to be installed. The link for the add-on is in the description. You're able to install this, and running it will start Steam in Big Picture Mode. You can hook up a USB gamepad and play some games right from your home theater media PC. You could also hook up a Bluetooth gamepad, but I've had issues with Bluetooth gamepads automatically connecting, which required me to go back to the operating system and set up the Bluetooth controller. For seamless operation, I didn't want to do that, so I use a USB gamepad. The Anu Kodi T16 that I mentioned earlier may also be a good option for gaming. It's wireless, it's not Bluetooth, but just like the T2, it uses their own wireless technology, but they add some extra gaming buttons for this particular controller. There are also retro game add-ons you could look up that download ROMs from archive.org. Though this gets into a legal gray area, emulators are not illegal, but technically downloading and playing ROMs that you don't own is illegal. So I've chosen, at least for this episode, not to get too much into retro emulation gaming. 
the TV is smart now and only getting smarter. So I've created a pseudo smart TV essentially. We can run apps and games and we can browse the web and we can watch TV shows and movies. And I'm still learning about the possibilities with Cody myself. In the coming weeks, I hope to have more of a video tutorial on how to put this all together. So finally, we have someone taking advantage of Tech Q&A here on Joey's Totally Tech. Remember, you can ask your tech questions and get them answered, either on Facebook Messenger, messaging them to the Joey's Totally Tech page, or on the Anchor app by leaving a voice message. This comes to us from Laura via Facebook Messenger. She asks, how do I make a signable form for a business? And this is a very good question. You can start off with a program like Microsoft Word and you'll use the DocuSign add-in. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything like that for LibreOffice. I mean, there's stuff dealing with security certificate signatures, but that's a little different. But I found you can use a service called HelloSign for Google Docs, in which you can upload a LibreOffice file into. For Word, First, you'll open the document in Microsoft Word that you want to add digital signatures to. Now, you'll want to install the DocuSign add-in. This add-in is free, but DocuSign is a paid subscription, costing as little as $10 per month for the personal plan, which is single user only, and you could get five signatures per month. Or you could go with the standard plan at $25 per month, which does not have the signature limit. Find out more at DocuSign.com. But to install the add-in, click the Insert tab. Click Add-ins in the drop-down menu. Click on Get Add-ins in the next drop-down menu, or if you're on a Mac, you'll click Store. Click the search bar in the upper left side of the window and type in DocuSign. Press Enter or Return. Click Add to the right of the DocuSign for Word heading, and then click Trust This Add-in and or Got It if prompted. Now, if you click on the DocuSign tab, you should be able to click on Request Signatures. It should allow you to log into DocuSign and set up your document for signatures. Now, if you're using Google Docs, or if you're using LibreOffice and uploading to Google Docs, you'll want to use HelloSign. Their pro pricing begins at $13 a month if you're okay with being billed annually, so you'd pay $156 at one time for the entire year. Or you could do $15 a month if you want to be billed monthly. And you have integrations with Google Docs as well as Dropbox, Gmail, Oracle CPQ, Salesforce, and Slack. Unfortunately, I don't have the instructions for HelloSign with Google Docs, but I have a feeling once you have the integration set up, from all their other integrations I've used with Google Docs and Gmail, it will be dead simple. Remember, ask your tech questions on Facebook Messenger or in the Anchor app Voice Messenger.
Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So you all know COVID-19 has been wreaking havoc around the world, and it's easy to feel powerless. But there is something you can do. It's called Folding at Home. You can donate your PC's processing power to help fight infectious diseases such as COVID-19 by connecting up to their distributed supercomputer. You can use Windows, Mac, or Linux-based systems. You can download Folding at Home at foldingathome.org. Again, that's foldingathome.org. And we have a folding team set up as well. It's called Joey's Totally Folding. If you set up your computer for folding at home and want to join the team, go into Configure in the app, go to the Identity tab, and put in the team member number, 261660 and set up your name and passkey. And then you can start folding with Joey's Totally Folding on the Folding at Home app. And remember, stay safe out there, practice social distancing, and abide by your state or country's orders regarding COVID-19 for your own safety and the safety of others. As always, there's a bit of tech news this week, including... NVIDIA announces their Ampere GPU architecture and their supercomputer is being used to fight COVID-19. AMD has released a new graphics card for the professional market. An information security platform threatens to cause this show not to be family-friendly due to Apple's iOS security problems. And Intel has a goal of building carbon-neutral PCs. All that and more, it's time for the news. NVIDIA announces Ampere A100 GPU and Accelerator. NVIDIA's usual presentation in front of a crowd was dashed this year, but they made a virtual announcement this year on YouTube by releasing videos announcing their upcoming GPUs. And the Ampere architecture was announced, starting with the A100, which is the name of both the GPU and the Accelerator incorporating it. A100 has 6,912 CUDA cores with a boost clock of around 1.41 GHz and a 2.4 gigabit per second HBM2 memory clock 
with a 5,120-bit memory bus and 1.6 terabytes per second memory bandwidth and 40 gigabytes of VRAM. Needless to say, this is for the data center and AI, not for a gaming PC. The flagship Ampere part is built on TSMC's 7 nanometer process and incorporates 54 billion transistors, two and a half times as many as the V100 before it. Also new to the Ampere's architecture, Nvidia announced support for sparsity acceleration. The concept involves pruning the less useful weights out of a neural network, leaving behind the most important, resulting in a sparse matrix of weights where only half the cells are a non-zero value. This results in a neural network that can be processed by the A100 at effectively twice the rate and couples the performance of NVIDIA's Tensor Cores. They're also supporting multi-instance GPUs, or MIG, which is a mechanism for GPU partitioning. Essentially, you can create up to seven virtual GPUs, each of which will get its own dedicated allocation of SMs, L2 cache, and memory controllers. The idea behind this, as with a CPU partitioning and virtualization, is to give the user or task running in each partition the dedicated resources and a predictable level of performance. And also, they announced their third generation of NVLink interconnect technology, the technology that connects multiple GPUs together to work together and which had replaced SLI. NVLink will offer more bandwidth and additional topology and link options. They've effectively doubled the signaling rate for NVLink, going from 2.578 gigabits per second to 50 gigabits per second. As a side note, for the DGX A100, which features eight A100 GPUs, NVIDIA has switched from the Intel Xeon CPU to AMD Epic CPUs. And speaking of which... NVIDIA's DGX A100 to be used in fighting COVID-19. This AI supercenter will also be joining the fight against COVID-19, running AI models and simulations which will help researchers explore treatments and vaccines and study the spread of the virus. This can enable scientists to do years worth of AI accelerated work in months or even days. NVIDIA's DGX A100 to be used in fighting COVID-19. This AI supercenter will also be joining the fight against COVID-19, running AI models and simulations which will help researchers explore treatments and vaccines and study the spread of the virus. This can enable scientists to do years worth of AI accelerated work in months or even days. She continues, uh, quote, this supercomputer is going to combine both accelerated computing and artificial intelligence, end quote. NVIDIA also announced other new services it plans to roll out to hospitals using their lines of Clara Parabrick GPUs. NVIDIA reduced the time needed to analyze an entire human genome from 30 hours to less than 30 minutes. They're also teaming with more than a dozen industry partners and 50 hospitals around the world to help better protect frontline medical staff through the use of remote monitoring, video conferencing, and at a distance body temperature monitoring in NVIDIA's program called Clara Guardian. And this, my friends, is how AI takes over the human race. Either that or I've been watching too much Apex TV or other conspiracy theory videos. 
Meanwhile, AMD has their own graphics card release as well. AMD has revealed its new Radeon Pro 7 graphics card, and they timed the announcement to happen a day before NVIDIA's announcement of Ampere. The graphics card is aimed at the likes of broadcast professionals, CAD and CAE, which is computer-aided engineering, and high-performance computing. If the name sounds familiar, it's because AMD released a Radeon 7 card in the past, and just like the Radeon 7, this is based on AMD's Vega 20 GPU. The card has 60 compute units and 3,840 stream processors, with peak single precision performance pegged at 13.1 teraflops and a peak double precision performance hitting 6.5 teraflops. It has 16 gigabytes of HBM2 VRAM and a memory bandwidth of one terabyte per second and support for PCIe 4.0. They also brought in their Infinity Fabric Link, which means you can pair two of these with a bridge and benefit from a high bandwidth, low latency connection, as well as memory sharing. It's better multi-GPU performance all around. The card also features six mini display ports, so you can drive six full HD monitors or a single 8K display. And the card delivers up to 26% faster 8K image processing performance in Blackmagic Design DaVinci Resolve when compared to an NVIDIA Quadro RTX 5000, according to AMD's testing. Apple has acquired Next VR. After rumors surfaced in April, Apple Inc. has confirmed they've acquired Next VR. This startup provides sports and other content for virtual reality headsets. The acquisition might help Apple's development of virtual reality and augmented reality headsets with accompanying software and content. Next VR supplies the content to some already existing headsets, such as Facebook's Oculus and other devices from Sony, HTC, and Lenovo. Next VR works with the NBA and entertainment networks such as Fox Sports. They also have an expertise in live streaming and virtual reality, which will be great for live concerts and games. Next VR has said on their website that they are heading in a new direction. Apple said it buys smaller tech companies from time to time, and generally they do not discuss the purpose or plans for those companies. They didn't disclose the purchase price, but the website 9to5Mac reported in April that Apple was in talks to buy the company for about $100 million. Apple this year has also purchased Voices, an Irish startup that focuses on voice technology and Dark Sky, a popular weather app. iOS security is f***ed according to exploit broker Zerodian. And I wish some of these people would use language that would help keep this a family-friendly program, but five years ago, Zerodium offered a $1 million reward for a browser-based untethered jailbreak for iOS 9. On Wednesday, the exploit broker said it won't pay anything for some iOS bugs due to the oversupply of them. Quote, we will not be acquiring any new Apple iOS LPE or local privilege escalation, Safari RCE, remote code execution, or sandbox escapes for the next two or three months due to a high number of submissions related to these vectors, the company had tweeted. Prices for the iOS one-click chains without persistence 
will likely drop in the near future, they continued. Zerodium's founder, Chalky Bakrar, and excuse me if I butchered that, said, quote, iOS security is f***ed. And because of him, I'm having to introduce beeps into our podcast in order to stay family friendly. Quote, only pointer authentication codes and non-persistence are holding it from going to zero. But we're seeing many exploits bypassing POC, and they are few persistent exploits, zero days, working with all iPhones and iPads. Let's hope iOS 14 will be better. The Senior Vice President of Software Engineering at Apple, Craig Federighi, I think I butchered that too, had reportedly overhauled the company's internal software testing process due to iOS being particularly buggy in order to avoid a repeat when iOS 14 arrives later this year. The mobile OS has had 12 updates, and half of them have had no cited vulnerabilities since the release in 2019. NASA's Artemis Accords puts new and old rules in place for outer space cooperation. NASA is attempting to modernize international cooperation in space and has published the Artemis Accords, which is a new set of voluntary guidelines that partner nations and organizations are invited to join to advance the cause of exploration and industry globally. Space has no laws of its own, but many nations already take part in a variety of agreements and treaties. The progress of space exploration, however, has outpaced much of that structure. So the Artemis Accords both reiterates the importance of old rules and conventions and introduces a handful of new ones. It's only described generally right now, but specifics will be hashed out over the next months and years. Rules cover things like expressing policies and plans in a transparent manner, creating safety zones and avoiding conflicts, releasing scientific data, protecting sites and artifacts, and more. Doom Eternal adds a kernel mode driver for Denuvo anti-cheat. The latest Doom Eternal update has come and it adds Denuvo anti-cheat to the PC version of the game. It stops cheat programs no matter how they're running, but many players are uncomfortable with the game having this level of system access. ID Software says the anti-cheat driver launches the game and closes the game and doesn't take screenshots, scan your file system, or stream shellcode from the internet. The anti-cheat can also be removed from your add or remove programs box in Windows. But if you do that, you won't be able to play in the newly introduced battle mode multiplayer, but Bethesda says you should still be able to play in single player mode. Players, however, are finding that it's not the case. Players on Linux have also reported that the anti-cheat driver breaks compatibility with Steam's Proton layer, and that seems to be a problem with anti-cheat software on Linux in general, as for some reason, anti-cheat has had a history of preventing Linux users from running Windows games under Wine for Linux anyway. And I think many of the publishers assume you're cheating if you use Linux. Intel to work toward a goal of building carbon neutral PCs. Intel is challenging the entire industry to tackle climate change. One of the goals Intel has announced this past week was to create carbon neutral PCs by 2030, which will eliminate waste in its design and in the use of the PCs. 
CRN was told by Gregory Bryant, executive vice president and general manager of Intel's client computing group, quote, We've created this set of global challenges that we think will mark a new era or a new chapter in corporate responsibility. We recognize, obviously, there's a huge component of Intel action in these global challenges. But we also recognize that even a company as big as Intel, it won't be enough for us to meet these goals without the partnership of other companies, our customers, our partners, our government entities around the world, etc., in order to bring these to fruition, end quote. Intel plans on working with supply chain partners, PC manufacturers, and customers to, quote, create more sustainable and energy efficient PCs, end quote, according to Bryant. It will be accomplished in part through sensory technology to reduce power usage as well as working with material vendors on recyclable packaging. And that was the news, and this has been Joey's Tolly Tech. I hope this has been very informative and fun for you. Thank you for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.